Welcome everyone to the MMOs.com podcast, episode 186 here, back after a break once again. Altai, joined this week by... Uh, Remo. Alright, and we are back. Another hiatus last week. Boost for King, thank you for the sub. A good way to start the week. Always a good way to start the podcast with a donation. Much love. More importantly, though, honestly, if you like, if you enjoyed the MOS.com podcast, make sure to leave us that five-star review on Spotify, Apple, blah, 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 wherever you listen to the podcast. We appreciate it. Yep. Jeff Bezos sends us a $1,000 check every time you leave a five-star review. Exactly. And you, you, you want team MOS.com to get those fat checks, don't you? All right. Well, with that, I got, a, I got an interesting topic we can discuss. Um, it seems to be a new trend brewing in gaming. Uh, and it still remains to be seen if it's going to take off or not. I've had a long discussion with a few people on different sides of this issue, and I'm curious to take, see your take on it. So mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about studio, uh, Google Stadia, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, they're going to be streaming games to you. And I saw a very odd uh, piece of news yesterday that Walmart is trying to get in on this too. Did you hear about this? Yes, but nothing's going to happen. And Walmart likes to like, like Walmart likes to stay relevant by like pretending <laughs> to be a tech company. And they've talked about making their own Netflix competitor, and they backed off. Now they're talking about their own cloud gaming competitor. They're going to back off. They, they like to pretend to be relevant with stuff in the in <laughs> the, the old screen. guy. The old guy's still in the room. Yeah, streaming. I can do that too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I don't think people envision Walmart as like this tech, you know, innovator. So nothing's going to happen on that front. Well, okay, nothing's happened with Walmart, perhaps. But I'm curious to see if you think Google Stadia, let's say a real company like Google here, will they be able to pull this off? Will we get streaming? Full-scale games on our, you know, powered-down computers, laptops, twi- you know, iPads. Is it going to work? Is it going to work? Yes. Will it be a good experience for everyone? No. Great for casuals. Awful for more hardcore players. Awful for all the tryhards that are watching and listening to this podcast right now. Because we are high-tier gamers, high-caliber players, who can High notice cal- the difference between 120 ping and 170 ping. I do think the average gamer has no idea if he's playing a 250 ping or like 300 ping or like 150. His reaction speed is so far outside that boundary that none of that matters. But if, you're, if you've been playing game, games for a long time, especially FPS games, but you can notice it in other games too, the delay is real. And cloud gaming, it's going to be a big problem with cloud gaming. We've seen the test results. And there are real differences between PC versus cloud gaming. Though, interestingly enough, the Stadia video I've seen shows the cloud gaming uh, input delay on an Xbox One console versus a Stadia with a laptop on Wi-Fi, about the same. So on the console front, they, they can be pretty similar, but I don't think it'll come close to PC gaming. That's a good point. And I think Carmack, the, um, the guy who made, um, the guy's working Oculus now, before that he was at id Software or something, he said the average console gamer today is already playing on a, mon- a TV uh, but he didn't set it to game mode. So on, on your TVs, there's like, you know, studio mode or something or movie mode. There's a mode for game mode. And most people don't even play with their settings on their TV, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember we, when we got, a, we got a Smash, new Smash on Switch, we initially did not have it on game mode. And I was like, what is this latency, right? Yeah, so, of course. It was unplayable. Yeah. So I feel like the, the reason I and think Stadia has... Are, ch- we, 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 got, we got a Twitch Prime sub, 19 months in a row. Much love, Elon Strife. And 500 biddies from Asura Gaming. Much love. Dang, how much will it cost to bring even, the old I guys? I even made the heart with my hand like a girl. <laughs> All right, we'll try for you, okay? We'll try for you, Asura. Um, but yeah, I was saying, so, so I think Google Stadia, like you said, will work, I think, for a lot of console players because they're already dealing with major lag. And also, 
It, it actually blew my mind, though, all time. Because I, I really can't emphasize this enough. The first time we played our Switch, uh, Super Smash Brothers, on our TV, the input delay was hilariously bad. Like, I was like, there's no way this is this bad. Like, like how is this? Like, who can play with this, right? And then I, we changed our TV setting to, to game mode, where it lowers the input delay, and the colors get a little bit wonky, but you play at a normal input delay, and it was much better. I imagine most players don't even change that setting, like, like you said. And in general, this console gaming is just not going to have the same... Like, it will always have more input delay than a PC game, especially if you're playing on, on like a regular TV. If you play on, you know, there's a reason why you know, a gaming monitor at 27 inches with 144 hertz costs like $700. There's a reason an IPS panel on, else, on, on, your, on your monitor costs so much money. And for, the, for 700 bucks, you buy a 60-inch 4K HD TV. But you're not getting the same, like, you know, the ratio-wise, it makes no sense because you get like a, the, triple the screen for for half, you know for it's the similar price but there's a reason behind that the input delay is much worse on TVs because they're made for you know watching Netflix watching movies and stuff not necessarily for gaming yep so i think that's one thing people are forgetting that google actually here's two complaints i've seen to google stadia one is what you're saying there's any delay right mm-hmm. but already we realized there's already delay for the non hardcore right and number two people say well i have bad internet therefore it's not going to work well yeah but you you're not the audience, right? Like p- yeah. people who live in the boonies are not the target market. So I, I don't understand this. This is a bad argument that if it doesn't work for everyone, it's a bad product. Yeah. Okay. I say Google says, hey, we're only targeting people who live in metros with high speed internet. Like if you if that's not you, okay, this is not for you. So that's I feel like that's a bad argument to just say uh, internet is not good. Therefore, this is bad. And I don't think it's going to take away the other business model as well of selling the games directly. I mean, this yeah. is a good, this is a good value add for people that, that like that otherwise would not be able to play these games. You know, not everyone's got a good PC, and this might be an easier way to access that for or a lot try of people a game otherwise the first wouldn't time. be able to get it. Yeah, you know. And actually, about the ping thing too, I, I find this really remarkable that like how much like input delay we kind of have built into ourselves. So I dropped this link to you. I want you to try this on stream and let's see what your best reaction is. We're gonna we're all gonna test Altai's gaming reaction speed. So I dropped the test. What is a ping test? Click to start. A it's a human Wait, reaction. Okay, so what are they? What are they? Wait for green. What does that mean? When the oh. screen turns green, left oh, okay. click. That's it. And let's see what score you get, Altai. Is this just one Everyone time? Judge oh, click, get, no, it's five times. It'll give you an average after five. All right. Remember, this is a built-in human ping. This has nothing to do with your your actual latency. But this is just from when you see oh, the screen turn green to when you left click on your button. What the delay is between that, so we can measure how much almost like built-in ping everybody has already. Altai, I'm very disappointed with your stats so far. Ah! You're a little bit on edge right now because you're doing it live. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, Master SG with a respectable score. Listen, like real talk, boys, real talk. You don't get Remo's respect unless you get, like, uh, for, below 220 is a, a must. 220 and below, I can respect it, all right? Uh, I'm, 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 below, I'm above kind of the uh, respect line, I guess. Oof. It was your first time. You were kind of on tilt. I've done. I, I get below two hundred. I get. Like I didn't even know what I was signing up for. The first one I think was my highest because I didn't know what I was Much signing up. Respect, you know. Dream, uh, Dream Leecher got one hundred eighty. Master SG's best one sixty. So anyway, it kind of goes with the whole streaming thing because I mean, the, the test I remember seeing with Stadia was both Xbox One and Stadia and all these cloud gaming services can get like about one hundred thirty built-in input delay, which is obviously not good. But like like you said, it's not targeting everybody. But for if depending on what, what kind of games you're playing. It doesn't make a noticeable difference. You know, you could be playing a, a like The Witcher or something, and honestly, your input delay is not that important. If you're playing maybe like CS:GO, obviously every little frame matters in a game like CS:GO or any FPS game, really. But I could see someone playing a MOBA, whether it's Dota 2 or League, and and, and obviously MOBAs things matter too, and how quick things move matter, but not nearly as much as an FPS game. 
Yeah, I think I think you'll find value as like a demo thing. People can try things mm-hmm. out, and if you like it, and that you know, hundred ping is bothering you, then you can just buy it or build a new computer. Yeah, I mean, not everyone can just drop like three two thousand dollars on a gaming rig or fifteen hundred bucks on a gaming rig, which which is fine. Well, here's what interests me more, and I think I read a, a tweet by the guy running Epic. Uh, you know, what's his name? Mm-hmm. He's always on Twitter, but he, Sweeney. He, he Sweeney exactly. He says it's not. Don't think about this as trying to bring like an existing games to an existing screen think of what mm-hmm. other genres this could open up right the, the interplay you know uh one of the things google mentioned is imagine watching a youtube video for a game and you can just uh click a button and start playing that game that's pretty cool and imagine that's actually really cool yeah. imagine this imagine we're in a discord ser- server Omar, i know you and me both we sit around a discord server sometimes right mm-hmm. imagine you know what the chat is where you, people can link like pictures or text imagine mm-hmm. you could drop a league window there and then someone, your friend says, hey, come play League with me. And they just drop the window. Now you don't have to put it up. You don't have to, like, you just That's click. That's actually amazing. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So uh, in the future, I think it's going to be just as easy to drop a, a, a box with a virtualized instance of a game playing as we currently copy GIFs or, or pics. That's actually phenomenal because, like, like, like I, I love Portal 2. It's one of the games I've been playing a lot this last year. I have over 90 hours in it now. Uh, definitely a little late to the fun over there. I've been playing with a couple of friends earlier this year. And just to be able to, like, drop a link to Portal 2 to play co-op online community chambers my friend like and they just click on a link to play like that removes the friction of having the game installed all the time launching the game getting in there like it could be done instantaneously which is amazing like I definitely see real value there yeah. like how quickly you can share a meme you can share an invite to like your, your multiplayer game yep and they don't have to launch they just click into that window just you know it's like a YouTube video embedded into mm-hmm. Discord right now you, they can just play in the window or they can you know full size it if they want but it's it's just within there and boom ready to go yeah. Again, the value here isn't for us on the podcast and people listening to the podcast that probably already have a, a gaming rig that you know that probably have, are, are going to spend extra money for the 140 hertz monitor to get that little bit of an advantage. Like it's not for us, but I, I do see the value for everybody else. And honestly, just like even for us, like just to click a game to try it without installing it and yeah. buying it, like it's like a free free trial, right? Imagine imagine seeing an ad for a game on 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 Twitch or something, right? Even though assuming we don't use ad block, which everybody does, but imagine seeing an ad for a game and when you click on it. It instantly lets you play that game for like yeah. 10 seconds or 30 seconds. You can yeah. see an ad that's interactive like that where like, and obviously, you know, if you want to click it or not, that'd be so cool actually. Like that would instantly make like just add, it could make ads kind of cool. Yeah. So that's the, that's what I want to, th- I, I don't want to think about it as delivering the existing games, you know, in a different way. I want to think of what, what new possibilities will this allow? I do think there's been a very harsh reaction by a lot yes. of people. Like I, yes. I, on my Twitter, I, I follow my, on my Twitter feed. A lot of people are like, Oh my God! Google's gonna ruin gaming. Like, whoa, relax there, buddy. You know, like it's not for everyone, but everyone's got this very harsh, like, take this shit out of here approach, which is very weird. Yeah, gamers are gamers are not bunch. We're a very um, angry bunch. Very defensive and angry. Yes, hundred percent. I remember like toxic. A couple months ago, everybody was shitting on Steam, right? But then mm-hmm. Epic Games Store came out. Now, literally, shitting on that. Exactly, everyone is shitting on that, and, and like Steam is a good guy. I bet Steam is so happy this Epic Store came around because now they can def- like, woo, we were getting a lot of heat. Now, now we're the good guy again. Yeah, gamers definitely get very passionate. Maybe not angry, but like very passionate people. And I, I, I've been seeing a lot on on Twitter fights between people like attacking the Epic Games Store, people defending it, and like we shouldn't have exclusive on the PC. That's like a console thing. But it's not really an exclusive, you know. The both stores are free anyway. It's, yeah, it's a bullshit launcher, and nobody wants that. Like, obviously, but like that extra click. Come on, like, yes, I, I prefer to have all my games on Steam as well. Like every sane gamer does. But like, I'm not, I'm not like at all ticked off by if I have to download something on the Epic launcher. Like, whatever. Yeah, I, I don't get the the hate. Um, mm-hmm. 
And by the way, the Epic Store is giving out free games every week. I've been, I've literally only ever launched my Epic Store in the past like two months to get the weekly free game. I haven't actually played any of the free games yet. I haven't even installed them yet, and I haven't played Fortnite uh, in months. But I do launch it religiously once a week just to get the free game. <laughs> free shit. Everyone loves free shit. And speaking about uh, angry gamer moments, all right, I noticed a lot of drama brewing on my Twitter account over a pretty non-drama issue for Final Fantasy XIV. Well, let's take it back to MMOs for a second because okay. there's been a little bit of drama with Final Fantasy XIV. So uh, this last week was a pretty big announcement for the game. Uh, it was the Tokyo Fan Fest for the game, and that was the final Fan Fest before uh, Shadowbringers launches, which is the latest expansion to Final Fantasy XIV. And the drama was people were waiting for reveals. Uh, we knew, for example, one of the new races was the Viera, the, their bunny girls from you know Final Fantasy XII. And... When they showed off the trailers for Bunny Girls uh, in the European Fan Fest, we we never saw a male Viera. We only saw female Vieras. So people were thinking, will they be gender locked? Like, where are the male Vieras at? What's going on, right? And what they revealed this Fan Fest was that they will be gender locked, and the only you can only play a female Viera. There are no male Vieras in the game. And they revealed a, a second playable race with the expansion, Hrothgars, which are basically just Ronsos from you know Final Fantasy X. And they'll, they're, they're locked in male only. Ooh. And this created a big shitstorm. Everyone's like, I demand female, like male VR. Like, demand. I'm canceling, I am canceling my account, never playing this shit game again if I can't get my my male VR. I bet that person's not even subscribed. Yeah, Honestly, you're probably right. But there's <laughs> not just that person. I saw so much shit and hate on my Twitter account as I'm scrolling through like, Square Enix can't get anything right. There's a bunch of effing assholes. They're retarded. They don't. They don't know what their player, their community wants. Like we, you know, if you don't get male VR, this game is awful. Like, really? You really want to play a male bunny? Like, I, I, I actually don't get that. Really? Like, yes, obviously, I prefer non-gender like classes. I think everyone prefers no. More I just options. I disagree. We can discuss this a little bit after after you tell the story. But I am now firmly in favor of gender lock. Okay, there you go. I'll tell yeah. you, it's firmly gender lock. Firmly, I, I prefer to have more options, but it's not something I, you know. I'm gonna you know lose sleep over. I, I can't imagine there's anyone like. It was like just just counting the days that they can play male Viera anyway. I mean, Vieras were bunny girls in Final Fantasy XII, and like you you didn't male Vieras were never really lore appropriate in the game either. They were kind of like in the background, like they they never played an important role in the Final Fantasy game. So like I, I, I don't know. I, I'm so surprised and taken back by the amount of outrage towards Square Enix for having gender locked uh, Viera. Okay, now let me tell my story here. So you know, there's a you know, if you follow the internet these days, there's a, there's a lot of SJW terms being thrown around, right? And one yeah. of them is fragile masculinity. I think that's what it's called, right? And it's one of those right. terms that kind of just blew off my hair. I, I gave it no thought. Like this is just a meaningless term, right? And you know, mm-hmm. the way they use it, you know, like people are like angry and real. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I didn't really buy into it. But then I thought about gender locks, and this is a this is a case where fragile gender is a thing. Like, why do you care if the sorceress is female only or the warrior is male only? Like, you're playing this character, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, playing a female doesn't make you female. Like, what wh- what part of you has a hard time playing a different gender? I, I don't understand this logic. Like, like e- even like in D&D, like pe- pen and paper, I remember playing male characters and female characters. It, it, it's like, it's an, you know, you're playing a different per- persona than yourself. Why can't you play a different gender? Like, what is the big deal? Mm-hmm. What, what do you think? As someone who prefers uh, free gender picking, I mean, again, I, I don't see a problem with it. In t- like, it's I, I see it's not a big deal, but why wouldn't you want more options for the player? Like, there are you know, like, why not let me play as you know? This is the first time they're adding a gender lock class to the game, so it's not like this game 
previously had these gender locked issues and this is, this mm-hmm. is a new thing for the game and it just seems like you know people are arguing oh they're getting lazy or something i mean i don't think it's a lazy thing no it's it does yeah. just seem odd that why not just make the mill ones I, I can't imagine it being that much you know more work okay what if about this like what if the, in the, remember some people are saying immersion right but i think actually gender locks increase immersion Imagine this, a cult, imagine this rabbit culture, only the females like go out to venture. The men stay home and build houses, mm-hmm. right? So that makes sense then, right? Well, but that, that is, uh, I think, one of the things I read quite a bit about. People were talking about you know, male VR is not being a prominent role in the game's lore. So I linked you a, a thread on the official forums. So obviously, it can't be that toxic because it is the official forums. People are, you know, 140-page thread about people saying, we, we, you know, we, want, we want male VR. So what is, this, what is the actual... Lore take: Are there no males, or are there males? There, there are males. It, it, it just, I don't think they play. They ever played a prominent role in any of the games, and I, and I'm, I'm not too, you know, polished on my FF14 Viera lore, so I can't answer that. Like, it, it, like in Star Trek, like the Ferengi, right? In their mm-hmm. culture, the women are not allowed to leave the house, and they got to be naked all the time. This, this is not a meme, by the way. In in Star Trek lore, the Ferengi they don't allow their women to leave the house, and they have to be naked at all times. And, yeah. And, there, there, are, there are scenes in Star Trek where, like, like a female, like, Ferengi tries to read something, and, like, they all get offended. Like, no, you can't, you can't learn to read. You're a female. You got to be naked, and you can't leave the house. <laughs> Which is actually hilarious, right? It like, is hilarious. If you show this to, like, um, SJWs today, they would throw a shitstorm over Ferengi in uh, Star Trek. I wonder if the new Star Trek will have a scene like that. I doubt it. You know, now There's it's no all, now it's all woman power. They would never approach it. But, like, is there any kind of, like, you know, feminine response to Ferengis? Because, again, this whole... SUW movement is a bit more recent than uh, you know, Star Trek, at least with Deep Space Nine, where I first saw the Ferengi. Yeah. So anyway, my point is, so you can have actually immersed lore by having gender locks, right? Because not every culture will allow its men or women to do every task, you know? Mm-hmm. That's fair. I mean, if you if you build it that way, that makes some sense. But like... I don't know. It, it just it just seems odd because like you don't have like stat differences either. Like like realistically speaking, a, a male character should have more strength, right, than a female character. This is mm-hmm. the, you know at least you play a humanoid character in the game. But then again, I guess you can say like oh the biology of our you know Elizans and Lalafels were they're all biologically the same strength or something. I guess you, you can kind of pull that every hat too to get out of that. But I don't, it, it it's definitely odd. Remember, there's a book a fantasy book series called Wheel of Time. It's like twenty books in a series. But one of the key uh, things in the world is Men cannot be mages because they can't control. They're too powerful to become mages. So, only th- so basically, there's a woman can be mages. So they basically like mm-hmm. run the government. And the guy's got to be like, you know, peasants and whatever. So maybe mm-hmm. the rabbit people are like that. So I'm reading some of the comments on here. So people are saying, uh, come on, lore is an excuse. Lore? What about Mikotes and female Rogadins? What about female Highlanders? You can't hide behind this excuse of lore. So uh, I guess it's not lore appropriate to just brush it off. Yeah, again, I don't know the lore in Final Fantasy world, but I'm just giving mm-hmm. you potential ways that gender lock can, you know, be, be mm-hmm. fitting. Yeah, it can be done in a way that makes lore sense. I think less people would argue with that. But I guess in a game where they kind of threw the lore aside for making, uh, you know, male Mikotes and female Rogans and whatnot, it shouldn't be an issue in that front. But I don't know. It, it just seemed like they wanted to add to... If you saw the other class as well, the Ronsos, the Parothgars, they're called, they look much... Very, very masculine and like just big dudes. So I guess it did make sense to make those as female. I mean, I, they could have because they have Rogans in the game that look kind of like ogres, still, these big races. So they could have done it. They just chose not to. And I, I, I was just taken aback by the by the backlash on my Twitter account. People are just 
angry. They're seething. But which tells me this no one talking about. Like, no, gamers are just angry. It's whatever they can be angry about, they will be. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like this is like they they were looking for something to be angry about because for the life of me, I, I do not understand. Like, I, I I get that there are some people that that wanted to play, but like I, I don't see how this is like a giant issue. Like they didn't take anything away from players too. Like if they if if maybe. In the next patch, they said, "Okay, there are no more male lollafells, or all female lollafells are banned, and you have to you have to raise the gender changes." Yeah, that that would piss people off. It wouldn't affect the game gameplay wise, but they're not taking anything away from the game. They're adding two new races to the game, along with all the other new stuff they're adding. And yeah, one of them is gonna be male only, one will be female only. You know what we should? You know what a game needs to do? Have, add a racism and sexism into the game. Like certain NPCs won't sell to you if you're a certain gender or race, or, or it'll charge you more. That would be really interesting, actually. Right? But but I feel like a lot of like modern gaming has taken us away from that. Like, I, I saw the announcement recently, kind of unrelated, but like I saw the announcement for Final Fantasy VII coming on Nintendo Switch, and in the scene, there's a like in the trailer, the Nintendo account tweeted was basically that in the first part of the game where you blow up like a part this giant refiner, and if I remember correctly, towards the end of the first arc of the game too, like you destroy like a whole section of that starting city, and, and literally you just literally were a terrorist and you kill like millions of innocent people. Like, I don't see that happening in newer games in general. You know, yeah, you don't do anything, like, remotely controversial, like, to that degree. Almost like, you're always, like, the goody-two-shoes kind of character. There are some, like, gray things you can do in some games on, like, individual basis. But, like, you never mass... You, you never be, like, a terrorist simulator. Which you, Final Fantasy VII, you were, you were playing as a terrorist at the beginning of the game. And, like, like you said, like, it would be cool to see different races and games mistreat each other. Yes. Like, in public, in video games. It, it doesn't happen, though anymore maybe i think everquest that's probably i'm sure everquest had stuff like that between the races oh yeah. at least it was it, at least the races were different like i, I feel like in final fantasy 14 it's people making a mountain out of a molehill because no matter what race you pick it, it doesn't actually do anything or gender hold on hold on there's like five stat differences total between races oh, it's, it, oh wow there's it, it one tiny gameplay thing and it's a very small stat difference but not enough to really impact anything and uh so is there any race only content Oh, actually, for the first time, this is actually, listen, I actually pre-ordered Shadowbringers uh, when, in the Tokyo Kino address because of this feature they're adding. I, mean, I was going to buy the game anyway, but I actually pulled out my credit card and pre-ordered it for realsies on Amazon the night I heard this announcement. So they're adding, um, they're adding, they're, they're adding small houses like in the game that only Lollafels can enter because they're just really small. Like You would not be able to fit through that door if you were like a non-Lollafell, right? So you can enter these houses if you're Lollafell. And other races can still see what's going on in the house, but they'd look from the window. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Kind of. Are the houses big inside? Anything. Yeah, it's like mini, mini, yeah, the mini house is like probably an open world. Where you can probably just walk in and stuff. But like, it's such a non-thing in general, but it kind of like makes the world more fleshed out. Like more like just, just you know, something you can interact with if you're Lollafell. And I play Lollafell, so I'm like, hell yeah. You know, it, it's just a nice little touch. Are people going angry over that? Actually, no. I don't think, I don't think I've seen any hate over that. That's funny. Which actually is like, yeah, there's no real content locked behind that, but like, it's, it's just a little fun thing you can do probably. Maybe, maybe there'll be like some NPCs in there you can talk to, but like, nothing major will happen over there. Alright. So when I, is this? I, I, thought it was, I thought it was fun. When is Shadowbringers coming out? Shadowbringers is launching into early access in, I think, Early July. access for expansion? What does yes. that even mean? You can play a couple days early, is it? So oh. you pre-order the game, if you pre-order the game, you can play a little bit earlier. So I have a question. Why did you pre-order from Amazon? Don't they have a their own page you can just get it from yeah I, I for me my default is like amazon i don't know why so what did I, he what did he pre-order exactly digital code yeah okay the digital, yeah I, I, they better not give me a cd i swear to god they give me a cd but hopefully if they give me a cd they should just give me the cd key via you know 
That'd be so funny if you yeah. get the CD and it takes like three days. I, and, I would. You got. I bet you gonna end up buying it twice. <laughs> June twenty eighth for pre orders and July second for everyone else. And they did release their full trailer as well. If you're interested in Final Fantasy fourteen, definitely check those out. Maybe you can show off the the dancer reveal trailer because they're adding a new class to the game. The dancer is, reveal uh, trailer. All right, let's do it. It's a ranged DPS class. Okay, that, another big shitstorm was because of this reveal. Dance people were here. mad that the dancer. I, I linked it to you, Altai. Oh, you linked it to me. People, people were mad that the dancer wasn't a healer, or they didn't add a new healer to the game. So what, what they're doing with expansion, adding two new playable classes, adding a ranged DPS character, and adding a tank to the game. So there's a gunbreaker and the and the dancer, and a lot of players were like, "Holy shit! There's only three healers in the game. I can't believe they added yet another DPS, but not another healer." So a lot of people were mega salty and just bitching at Square Enix, you know, about this i mean i i get that they want more healers in the game and if you play a healer you want more variety in your gameplay as well you know and it's nice but i, I don't know it, it just seems something like odd to get upset about because they added a new tank instead and there's only three tanks in the game too so this is the fourth tank in the game so i guess they were trying to say we should get rid of the they, they shouldn't have added a range dps they should add another healer but i guess maybe it was some balance issues with that and they wanted to they were having trouble balancing healers i feel like DPS yeah i feel like healers would be the hard to balance and, and, and dps is the easiest to balance Probably. I mean, there's a reason why the game is... There's only... Right now, there's only three tanks and three healers. Three tanks and three healers and a bajillion DPS classes. You know, they're clearly the easiest to slap into the game. But yeah, people are upset that there was only... There was no new healer. But again, it, it, it kind of... The fact that people dig upset over it tells me, like... Another reason why I like Final Fantasy XIV, you can play all all the class on a single character, you know? Like, you have one character which acts to all the jobs. And, you know, I, I do love Final Fantasy XIV's job system. I, I don't think there's any reason for other games not to have this, you know? I'm my single character. I, I'm, I'm main black mage, but I can just click a button and start playing uh, as a red mage, which I'm already max level in too. Blow them all up independently, and it, it's just nice to have everything under one character. It gives people a reason to log into the game and kind of level everything up. You know, my friends that love Final Fantasy XIV, they level up every single character class in the game. Because why not? In case the party needs a tank, they can play tank. If the party needs a healer, they can play healer. I wish WoW did that. There's no re everyone yeah. I know has alts, so whatever they need, yeah, they switch. I wanted like ten alts anyway. Yeah, which so, I, so I, I silly. See but like, if you want like role play and stuff, sure. But it's the convenience of having all in one character is amazing. Like, I don't like rolling alts in a lot of games, but if I can just switch on my main character, I feel like I'm making progress. Like, I'm getting more stuff on my main character. Yeah. Um, actually, in WoW, uh, I, I want to know what you think about this in Final Fantasy. If they added this, so in WoW, they're I, I watched some producer video, mm -hmm. and they're um, discussing doing a, st uh, a level squish. So instead right. of you know, with, you know, they've been adding you know ten levels to each expansion. So now the max level is one twenty. But they, they're mm -hmm. considering making the whole leveling from 1 to 60. So 60 becomes a cap again. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you just you level to 60, and 60 is a new cap. What do you, so people, I, I, It's fine, but people are going to get mad over it. They're going to feel like they lost progress, even though everything will remain the same. Really? You think so? I think people will feel like they lost something. Like, I was level 120, now I'm level 160. Like, maybe. May, you know, maybe Final Fantasy XIV, especially, because uh, there's no, like, free insta level. Whereas in WoW... When you buy each expansion, you can make a character that starts, you know, at the at the max level prior to the expansion. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I don't think there was much negative feedback when WoW proposed mm -hmm. it. But you're right, maybe in a different game, um, mm -hmm. it might be an issue. I mean, why not? I mean, if it makes the numbers easier to deal with, I know WoW has done this before, where they crunched the numbers, where the numbers just weren't as big. Mm -hmm. Like you'd get like plus six thousand stamina on one piece of gear. So everything's kind of like divided by ten. The numbers got a lot smaller. But now the numbers are getting big again because of inflation with every expansion. So that makes sense. If it, they're going to squish the, the the stats themselves or the levels, I mean that's a design decision. And if, if they just keep the numbers consistent, it just it's better. I mean, I I don't like seeing giant ass numbers where like you do a million damage. 
I mean, it makes all the previous expansions kind of feel like worthless when you go from doing like 100 damage to 1,000 damage to 100,000 damage. When you keep increasing the numbers by factors of 10, the numbers get pretty out of hand, you know? So when I play a new MMORPG, the first thing I look at is, like, okay, how much damage am I doing at level 1? Like, do I have 100 HP? I do like 3 damage. That's cool. In a lot of games, you start with like 8,000 HP and you do like 3,000 damage a hit. Like, the numbers don't need to be that big. So if they can keep those numbers smaller, I think people can wrap their mind around those numbers a lot easier. Yeah, personally, I hope I hope WoW does do this, where 60 becomes mm -hmm. in the cap. Um, maybe next expansion in a year or so. Mm -hmm. All right, I want to talk about something uh, pretty fun as well. About mobile gaming, Alta. I know how much you love mobile gaming. My favorite. We were just talking about mobile gaming in the, in the pregame, so... I found some pretty interesting stats, and I put up a post on Immos.com talking about, once again, just how big mobile gaming is. One more quick look at the numbers I slapped together. Let me give you the link to it. I wrote the headline that mobile gaming is huge. Fake Grand Order made $3 billion since 2015. The entire Metal Gear franchise series made $2.5 billion since 1987. So if you add up all the sales, 49.2 million units from the entire Metal Gear Solid franchise, multiply, multiply by, say, 50... Which, you know, not every game is sold at $60. There are sales and stuff. So I'd pick 50 as a number to multiply them all by. You get about $2.5 billion. So Fake Grand Order in three in four years made more money than Metal Gear made in the last 30 years. Is there a reason you chose these two comparisons or just the first ones that came to your mind? First one that came to my mind. But as I wrote this article, I'm like, maybe we can find some other comparables as well. Because, you know, let's see just how big other games are. Uh, Dragon Ball Z Dokkan Battle reported their numbers through Sensor Tower. That game made about $1.6 billion globally since 2015. So a game that's... No, obviously a lot of people know about Dragon Ball Z, but it is the most popular uh, Dragon Ball Z game. I think Dokkan Battle has probably single-handedly out-earned every other Dragon Ball Z game uh, in history combined. And it's just a mobile game that not everyone's played. Uh, Clash Rail did about 2.5 billion, which also equals the Metal Gear Solid figures. What, the number I liked was Fire Emblem Heroes earned over 500 million since launching in 2017. It out-earned every single Fire Emblem game combined. And more interestingly, Pokemon Go hit over 3 billion in revenue uh, but it's expected over $3 billion in revenue by end of 2019. Uh, if you add up the franchise-wide unit sales of all Pokemon games in history and combine them, it's about $300 million. Pokemon, A lot of Pokemon games are also not for... Um, they're not $50 games. They're like $20 or $30 games for DS or Game Boy, right? Yeah, like so 30 40 yeah. In the next like three or four years, it is conceivable that Pokemon Go, if all things remain steady, Pokemon Go will earn more than every other Pokemon game combined. Yeah, I would, I would bet on that. Isn't that insane? that this Pokemon Go game is going to out-earn every other Pokemon game combined. It's not there yet, but remember, for, for Dokkan Battle, it out-earned every other Dragon Ball Z game, probably. You know, Fake Grand Order makes this crazy money. Fire Emblem Heroes out-earned every other Fire Emblem game combined. So, but Pokemon is such a big franchise, you know? Everyone's like, it sold over 300 million copies. These are, these are big numbers. But it just shows you how insanely successful the popular mobile games can be. And this is why we're going to get more and more mobile games. It is also amazing. It's also important to look at these numbers. Uh... If you're of you know whatever you know hobby or industry you're in, because so many times the numbers contradict your uh, assumptions, right? So for example, <laughs> I was looking at the top selling games of all time. So this is unit sales, not doesn't count free to play. Um, mm -hmm. So PUBG sold more copies than all the original first gen Pokemon games combined. So with the red, blue, yeah, wow. and yellow combined, PUBG sold significantly more uh, than all those combined. And PUBG's only been out for about three, two, th three years now, two, two and a half years. So oh God, that yeah. is insane, right? But uh, the, the the cultural impact of you know Pokemon because we played it when we were young uh, is so much bigger than uh, PUBG. But there it is, PUBG sold more. And speaking of PUBG, somewhat related though, because PUBG Mobile had some interesting stats as well. You know, Tencent reported their earnings this last week, and they thought Tencent owns PUBG Mobile. 
you know, they and they also own uh, uh, Fortnite indirectly through Epic Games, right? So in their there was they said this in their in their earnings report, which I like. They Tencent themselves said in international markets, PUBG Mobile achieved breakout success, becoming the most popular game globally by monthly active users, and was named the best game of 2018 by Google Play. They came out and said that PUBG Mobile is literally the most popular game in the world outside of China. Who would have thought PUBG Mobile? Uh, and remember, this is from Tencent, who owns uh, Fortnite as well. They know how much money Fortnite is making. They know how many players are playing Fortnite. But they're saying PUBG Mobile has more monthly active players in Fortnite, or literally any other game in the West. Their figures are saying we're, we're not looking at China, excluding China. I think if you included China, maybe Arena of Valor or Honor of Kings would be number one. But PUBG Mobile, guys, is the biggest game in the West. I, I actually, have I played it? I think, no, I don't think I've ever played it, that one. But I think Tencent is a is a you know a force to be reckoned with i think tencent is smart they got whoever's working there at the high level is really smart they're so quick you know the team that made dota auto chess uh that mod we talked about in dota mm-hmm. uh, so there's a huge mod now over 100,000 players you know concurrently playing it they immediately got approached by tencent and now they're working with tencent to make a mobile version like wow how 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 is it that tencent is doing this so quickly quicker than valve why didn't valve which hosts dota 2 you know the arcade why couldn't valve see these numbers and jump on it instead they let tencent jump on it missed opportunity i i think i don't know i think it's uh these the chinese companies are just hungry you know they're actually going at it yeah it's it's crazy i mean i think auto chess actually has um they, they said they would make a mobile game for it too so yeah, yeah. Work on. It'll, it'll be huge you know it's got over 300,000 it gets over 300,000 concurrent players you cannot undersell the popularity of player-made content in mobile in, in, in these games. Like, again, 300,000 concurrent players, 370,000 last night when I played on Dota Auto Chess is absolutely nuts. I think that will be, I think I said it last time, but I think Dota Auto Chess is the start of a new genre. Uh, we're going to see like, you know, a dozen knockoffs, similar turn-based, kind of like round-based, um, mm-hmm. multiplayer, asymmetrical multiplayer games coming out. Uh, in the years ahead on every platform, you know, PC, mobile, everything. Mm-hmm. So before we get too far away from mobile games, I want to talk about one more figure, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, Altai, can you guess how much the average Japanese gamer spends on mobile games in, 20, in, in, in 2016? 2016. Remember, and this is looking at the, the top 30 mobile games in Japan and just dividing their player, their, their revenue by the total player. So this, so, this is not, this is not average revenue per paying user. This average revenue per user. Okay, so per month. Okay, per month. Per okay. month. No, discounts people that don't spend any money. I, 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 I get, it, I get, it, I get it. Okay, I'll say, I'll say ten, ten dollars. Thirty dollars a month. Thirty dollars a month. The average Japanese player spends thirty dollars a month on a mobile game. That includes people that spend a big fat zero. And wow. if you look at the people that only spend money, I found a good article on uh, Bloomberg that looks at um, that that looked at um. Grand Blue Fantasy and. Monster Strike, and I think it was Monster Strike had the high at their average revenue per paying user was three hundred seventy three dollars per month. So if you spend even if you spend any money on uh, some of those Japanese games, like the average Japanese player ends up spending three hundred seventy three dollars a month, and the average player, you know, whether they spend zero or a lot, it averages out to over thirty dollars a month. And the most remarkable thing about that statistic, Altai, let me show you the the chart for this. The most remarkable thing about the statistic is how much it increased between twenty fifteen. In 2016, wow. the Japanese figures increased from $16 a month to $30 a month. Look at China. 
China, the average Chinese person spends more money on mobile games than the average American, and the average American is much wealthier. This is a inverse good taste meter. So I guess maybe. <laughs> I, I wish I was looking for the data before the podcast started. I was looking for data for 2017, 2018, 2019. There's nothing out quite yet. So I think the numbers, they've gotten better at monetizing. So these numbers are probably going even higher. And and here's the remarkable thing. Like, with all the complaining we do about, like, PC games, and I've talked about this before, and it's very I think it's a very unpopular opinion. It, the amount of bitching we do, like, for Final Fantasy XIV, I, I pay, like, $14 a month for the game, $13 a month to play the game. And I get basically everything I want in the game for $13 a month. I, I think I get a lot of value there. I, I don't spend any money in the cash shop for, you know, race changes, for world transfers, stuff like that. I don't spend any money on that stuff. So for, for that that's my limit. That that's all Square Enix will get from me. If I play the game nonstop all month, they get fourteen bucks a month from me. Versus, you know, this mobile game that's free to play, in Japan they're getting over thirty bucks a month. They're getting thirty bucks a month per person on average. You know? I do think Square Enix should be able to monetize their users a bit better. I'm not saying PC MMOs should go the mobile way and go full pay to win and try to extract hundreds of dollars per user per month. I'm just saying where we are today, where Square Enix or Activision Blizzard or any of these big companies are going to decide for themselves, do we make more PC games? Do we make more mobile games? Our mobile users don't bitch, and we make triple the money off them. Our PC users are the biggest winders in the world, and we can't get more than $12 a month from them. I, I honestly think I get more than $12 a month of value out of Final Fantasy XIV. And I think anyone that plays those games a lot get that value as well. So I think whether you want to capture that through a higher monthly fee or more expensive cash shop items, I do think we got to give a little something to Square Enix because... There was a big shift storm when they launched their mobile companion app because you could pay money to get, um, like, you could use, the, with the mobile companion app for Final Fantasy XIV, you can use the auction house like three times per day or something for free, right? You can buy three items or list three items in the auction house using the app. Obviously, you can do it infinite times on the PC, but if you pay, like, five bucks a month extra, you get, like, you can do, like, 20 uses in the auction house with the app. That just lets you, you know, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're out of the house, you can buy something in the auction house if you want. This is, like, you know, snipe an item that you really wanted. And that gave so much shit and blowback to Square Enix because players were just bitching about, oh, it's unfair, it's unfair, it's, you know. But you can still do everything the same on PC. They didn't take anything away from you, but people were complaining about it. So I, I, I want to let Square Enix monetize a little bit more. A little bit more. Same with World of Warcraft. Let them charge a little bit more for some cosmetics. Let them make a little bit more money. That way we can keep getting, you know, good PC content and not just mobile nonsense. Yeah, I, f I feel like one of the big problems, it's always harder to change uh, than to just, you know, start with something different. So... Yes. Yeah. So it's very hard now that the expectation has been leveled, right? Where, mm -hmm. okay, you're going to pay $13, $14 a month and you get unlimited access, right? It's so mm -hmm. hard to dial that back or, to, exactly. or, or play with it in any way. And, and here's the thing that once you speak to somebody that's like very anti pay to win, you realize like the flaw in their logic too. Like, uh, I, I'm generally anti pay to win as well. I mean, it just seems, you know, I, I prefer you to earn your things in games. But like, if you're playing Counter Strike and you have a, you have a 144 hertz monitor, you have a better refresh rate than me, you are literally paying for an advantage. If I have a 60 hertz old LCD monitor, you are literally just seeing the frames. Your screen's getting updated twice as fast as mine. You can just see things before I can. Or if you have, you know, maybe I have, I'm further away from the server than you are. I have a shittier internet connection. Maybe I can't afford a cable internet connection. Maybe I have to get like a satellite internet connection. My ping is 200, yours, yours is 60. Yours is 20, you're sitting on top of the server. Like, are you not paying for an advantage better internet than I am? Of course you are. If I have an old, if I have a ball mouse, do you remember ball mice, guys? Oh, we this had this like talk. Back in, we had this back talk. Back in the day. All right. Remember ball mice? Like if you play with a ball mouse and I'm playing with a you know, Razor Death Adder or something or better equipment, like I get every marginal advantage I can pay for, you know? But 
that's all okay. Like the real the, people, are, oh, you know, game companies can't fix that. Yeah, they can. You know, if Counter Strike wanted, they can lock your frames at 60, and there's nothing beyond that. If Counter Strike or any online game wanted, they can set something called a minimum ping. They could just literally run your internet connection around in circles until you get minimum 100 ping and then send it to the server. They could force 100 ping minimum and keep people on an equal playing field, but they don't. And people are okay with that. So people tolerate pay to win in so many different ways, in so many different games they play. But the moment, like, the expectations for the developer, if they try to partake in the profit, it's seen as evil. And there are, there are good ways and bad ways to do it. I just want, I want to reward developers from the games I play a little bit more. Okay, well, how do we do that? Um, what it's do you think? Impossible. It's so hard. This is <laughs> kind of, it's impossible. This is kind of related to what you're saying. So I was reading um, so a write-up by the guy who made Counter-Strike, the initial mod, right? And he was saying he had did so many more ideas for Counter-Strike, but once it got super successful, they were afraid to change anything because mm-hmm. of instant you know, pushback. So one example was gun inflation. So, you know, what, what do people buy in Counter-Strike in any match? The, the AK or the M- M4, right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty much like the default. Yeah. But he... They, wanted, they actually tested a feature where every time a gun got bought in one round, like one match, it would go up in price a little bit. And now this would encourage people to try all the guns because, you know, some of the guns are worse than others, but they cost a lot less because the, mm-hmm. the AKs keep getting bought and they keep going up in price. So it would actually add diversity. And when you kill somebody with an AK, you know, maybe that AK costs like double what it cost at the start of the match. That's actually a really cool idea. Yeah, but they couldn't do it because they got so much pushback and they, just got, they got scared. Interesting, because I, that is one of the big issues of Counter-Strike where like, certain guns are just opt- optimal play at certain prices, but if the, if the prices are dynamic and they change, you could actually be forced to use other weapons that you normally wouldn't do. Yep. I think it would make the game more dynamic and interesting, actually. But yeah, like you said, they're, they're afraid to play with those numbers. And with all the blowback a lot of these games get when they try to shift up the business models, you know, PC gamers are angry people, boys. We talked about it in the beginning of the podcast, you know. We, 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 we are quick to get the pitchforks, you know. And I'm guilty of that as well myself sometimes, but, you know, yeah, it's 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 an odd it's an odd place to be as a PC gamer. Just seeing, like, I feel like we are at a crossroads, and I'm seeing the opportunities for that developers are seeing in mobile and the games I prefer to play on PC. And honestly, there is no reason for a sane developer to pour resources to making PC games in general when mobile is just this much bigger. I mean, fortunately, right now, I think Final Fantasy 14 is still a pretty big cash cow for uh, Square Enix. And I, I, I was looking at these numbers uh, earlier this week out of curiosity. So while Final Fantasy XIV and Square Enix and MOs don't make a lot of money on the top line, they're actually very profitable. I ran the if you, they, they publish their operating income as well. So I ran the good numbers real quick. On an average year, Square Enix will make about twenty five percent of all of their operating income, which is basically close to their profit, their profit from their MO division. And their MO division is basically two games: Final Fantasy XIV and Dragon Quest X. And most of that is Final Fantasy XIV. And they actually make just like very similar amounts of money between mobile gaming and their PC MMOs, only because the mobile games have very high revenue. We're talking like like triple or quadruple or even higher revenue than the, mo- the MMOs, but they have they don't make any money on them because there's, there's a lot of expenses related with those with the Google Play Store and the Apple Store and how much money they're pouring back into mobile game development. So there's actually like it's a very big profit driver for Final, for, for Square Enix is their their MMO division. So because of that, Final Fantasy XIV is still is still relatively safe. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the the allure of mobile. You know, you only see the revenue numbers, but mm-hmm. the cost involved are so high too. For like you said, Apple and Google take thirty percent off the top, and then um, you have to always advertise uh, these games, mm-hmm. and you got, and you got a blitz to advertising. You got you have to have a huge launch because if you don't have a huge launch, you don't show up on the top one hundred apps, right? And if you don't mm-hmm. show up there, you know, there's no discoverability. Um, so 
I do think a lot of these game company, uh, these mobile games, are not as making as much profit as people think, just because the cost of that revenue is so high. Yeah. All right. What do you got, Omar? Oh, speaking of mobile, Call of Duty is coming mobile. Did you know that? That's a thing. Mm. So it's supposed to be China only, but then Blizzard said, "Why don't we just bring it to?" Uh, well, Activision Blizzard said, "Why don't we just bring it to the West as well?" So soon we're gonna have Call of Duty mobile, Diablo mobile, um, probably a WoW, some kind of WoW spinoff mobile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's supposed to be China only. It's coming to coming to the West, mm-hmm. which is nice. Mm-hmm. It was um. One interesting stat I read earlier this week, uh, not really related to most, but uh, I've been playing a little bit of Slay the Spire myself, actually. It's still a game I absolutely love. I've been playing that for quite a bit. And um, they released a pretty f- interesting stat. They said 43% of their sales, they sold 1.5 million copies, and 43% of those stats, of their sales, came uh, out of China. And there's no Chinese localization for the game. And still, nearly half their sales came from China. You know, I read that too. And my, my first thought was, maybe, maybe China is starting to get some better taste in games. Because <laughs> Slay the Spire is, is actually a good game. Uh, so I'm glad to see that's doing well in China. And uh, I've said earlier, like, we've talked a lot about modding, and you said that like Dota Auto Chess will kind of spawn its own like genre. And again, it came out of modding, and it gets over 3,000 concurrent players. I mean, if it was if Dota Auto Chess was a standalone game, you know, depending on the hour, it'd have more players than CS:GO. And I, I I still believe the next big thing in MMOs will be player created content. We've seen how successful you know Roblox and Minecraft could be with player created content. And uh, even this game, Slay the Spire, there are some pretty crazy mods coming out because. Uh, this game actually just released their modding support like a few months ago. And somebody made a Yu-Gi-Oh mod for Slay the Spire. And I thought it was pretty cool. Like you can actually put down monster cards in like attack That's position. That's amazing. Like there's a mod with the slime. I, I, I played through a lot of these mods. I haven't played through this one yet. This is a very popular mod that just launched. And it's crazy what people can do with mods in the games you love. Like I love Slay the Spire. I, I've played, I've beaten it at least like 20 times, 50 times with very, the default characters. I've beaten it with the modded characters many times too. And I haven't tried this mod yet, but it's made by a Chinese player. And it's just really cool what you can do with this. There's a mod for um, Marissa, one of the Toho characters in the game, too. So it's just modding for MMORPGs is going to be, I think, it's going to help drive the genre forward. Unfortunately, we couldn't see that happen with Neverwinter and Star Trek Online with the shutdown of the Foundry. But I think whichever game can handle that correctly or do it correctly will lead to another big boon. I mean, I've been playing, I told you last time we were on the podcast, I've been playing a lot of Warcraft 3. All modded games have been playing on there. Starcraft mods with the custom. This, this is that's where the opportunity is. I think. Do you? Uh, so are, you are you still playing War Three, or are you burned out now? Uh, not as much, but I've been playing a little bit. Not as much now. Um, Last time I played like ten hours a day, so I'm not quite there. You know, I, I toned it down. All right, all right. But did yeah, you did you see this dual universe tech achievement? That's kind of nebulous. No. What is the dual universe tech achievement? So dual universe is one of these like open-ended kind of MMOs in the work. Sandbox. Mm-hmm. You can make your own content. So you know basically what you're talking about. But um, you know, still in you know development, alpha, all that stuff. They have um, they put a video out uh, this month. Basically, it's thirty thousand simulated players in continuous single shard. Now, I don't know what that means because a, it's not networked because it's all running on one computer, right? Yeah. So they're basically like NPCs. Mm-hmm. Or, or mobs, whatever. Um, so I don't know if it's supposed to be impressive or not. I can't really tell. But uh, 
if this game ain't works, no way. ain't no way you put thirty thousand real players. In no, no, no. They're I'm not, already calling. Rainbow's calling the bull. No, no, they're not claiming, right? but they're not claiming they're players. Okay. They're saying simulated players, so they're not claiming. I mean, shit, they're implying that their game could support thirty thousand real players. That's the implication here, right? Maybe, I, I guess, yeah. Uh, otherwise, why would they even make this claim? The implication here is that like our network technology allows thirty thousand players in the game at once without like crazy lag. That otherwise, there's there's no point of this trailer. What are they showing off? Literally putting NPCs on the screen? No, they're implying that they can support this many real players in one instance, which I'm going to call bullshit. It's going to be a laggy hot mess with that many players. All right? We haven't seen any game have this level of, like, this many players on a screen at once without being a complete clusterfuck of lag. Well, I mean, okay, here's a, here's a good tie together. Perhaps with things like Google Stadia, we can actually get mm-hmm. MMOs with high levels of, you know, concurrent players. Because you know Maybe. the Google Super Server or whatever or data center can handle the hard, you know all the crunching, so we don't have to locally crunch crunch all that. I do want to say I, I'm not like this dual universe game has been coming soon for a while. They raised money from, in, from a Kickstarter campaign. I think they do have like a real like office and they've spent like they've raised real money. So like this isn't like the same tier of like you know Kickstarter funded nonsense as a lot of other games. I'm still not optimistic about it, but I did remember reading that they they did raise real money from real investors. So there's something happening there. But it's not a game I've really been actively following. I like the concept a lot. I think you could like, it's supposed to be kind of like, um, it's kind of playing with the idea I was talking about earlier. I think player credit content is a key part of the game. Mm-hmm. Players can design stuff in the game. And then you can write code directly into the game as well. So they're going with the kind of second lifestyle vibe. And if done well, that could work. I mean, I don't know if Dual Universe will do it well, if it'll ever, if, if it'll ever even come out. But I like the idea they're playing with. Because at least it's not just another Korean anime inspired MMORPG where, you know, you know it's not going to be you know a big deal or anything great. Speaking of uh, Korean nonsense and more PGs, all that I played DK online this last week. D- oh, on Steam? How is it doing? Yeah, I played Donkey Kong online on Steam. I actually, I was surprised. The game has like, I'm not sure what the player base is now, but last week it had like over 700 players online. I'll tell you. Wow. Can you believe that? Yeah, there's 627 players online right now. Uh, and what was your take? Players. What was your experience on DK this online? This is a hot take. The game sucks. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's okay to play shitty games. I like playing shitty games. Okay, but. It's you're, it's a very grindy old school game. What you do is you basically go outside town, you, you run some quests, you just grind. And the problem is you basically run out of, um, like, after level 20 or so, you start, like, after after killing a few mobs, you run out of mana and or, you know, HP. And you got to just sit down. You got to just wait for your mana to regen or HP to regen passively. Because you, you don't farm enough money from killing enemies to be able to buy potions. So think like old school Mabel story where like you would actually run it. You just couldn't afford to buy potions, you know? So you couldn't play a mage. You just play a warrior because like you just can't buy mana pots. And the only way to like efficiently grind in DK Online is to just buy cash up uh, potions in mass. And it is nice. one of those games that's a potion spammer. You guys remember Ragnarok Online where you spam the shit out of those potions, mashing your keys with one second cooldowns? That's DK Online. And the, the potions you buy, you do 1% of your HP and you got to spam the shit out of them. I'm not sure why they do that, but in Ragnarok it was the same thing. You would spam the shit out of those potions. Yep, yep. A lot of a lot of those old Korean grinders um, made you you know suck up on a lot of potions. The good old days of no cooldown potions, exactly. I mean, look, the game had some really bad voice acting. It, it had some like, it was actually it was not great, but I, I do find myself enjoying playing those games for a short while. I mean, the game has mostly negative reviews on Steam. People complaining about the the pay to win elements running out of mana not being able to get your mana back very quickly you, you have to buy potions and you buy cash off stuff to make any kind of progress in the progress in the game but uh i don't know i i, I had some fun with it i mean some of the character models look decent and the game was from 2013 so it's not that old 
So it wasn't like ugly visually. But the game shut down originally on Area Games back in like 2014, and they relaunched it now. So it's like a five-year-old game they relaunched. So yeah, speaking of sh- well. speaking of shutdown, um, a game that we gave an award to for last year is shutting down. I know. I heard. Uh, what was it called? Like Survived by, right? Survived by. Survived by is already dead. Yeah. That was quick. It was a quick one, and before it even launched, not that before it even escaped early access, the game is getting axed. Yeah. Kind so, of a shame. If only they just made uh, another auto-playing nonsense game. People people love auto-playing games. Speaking of auto-playing games, I am playing, you know, playing in quotes, Ragnarok Online right now on my other monitor all time. I am level. It. Well, I just booted up again oh. yesterday and kept it running because I was reading a lot, a lot about Gravity and how much money this game makes. It's crazy how popular Ragnarok Global is. But I am level 56, Altai, and I'm not sure what's going on. My character is just taking, you know, just, just grinding. He's been grinding for the last six hours, killing these plants. Do you, have like, do you actually have like level relevant gear or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But look, the, the one part, like, the game plays itself. There's like one aspect of the game where you feel like you have some kind of control is when you upgrade your character's gear. So you, you basically grind forever on autopilot. And every once in a while, you go back to town, you go to the auction house, and you buy whatever relevant gear is for your level from other players. And you equip it, and you go back outside town, and you go back to grinding automatically. But that's my experience with uh, Ragnarok Mobile. The game is unbelievably popular in Southeast Asia. I think it's like the most played game in Southeast Asia. The game. Hasn't launched in Japan officially yet, and the what? rumors are that once it launches, it's going to be huge because Ragnarok Online was actually the biggest game in Japan. Like Ragnarok as a franchise is most relevant in Japan. The biggest shareholder is a Japanese company, right? Gung Ho, yeah. Actually, a fun fact about Gung Ho. I was reading about Ragnarok Online. I was looking at Gravity's annual report. That's what I do. That's what I do in my downtime, boys. I load up annual reports for these gaming companies and I just skim through them. So. What happened was when, when, when Gravity developed Ragnarok Online 2, they partnered with Gung Ho, their parent company, to publish the game in Japan. And because Gung Ho made a lot of money off Ragnarok uh, 1 in Japan, lots of money, they licensed the game. And their, their license agreement is a pretty typical agreement where you know Gravity would get a percent of revenues, but they also got an upfront license fee. The upfront license fee that. Uh oh. Dollars. Not a lot of money. You're lagging. I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Move forward. The game shut down in one year in, in, in Japan, and Gung Ho demanded their five thousand dollars back. Five thousand. They demanded their five the five thousand yeah. dollars in, in advance licensing fee they they gave to Gravity. That Ragnarok Online Two was such a flop. This giant multi billion dollar company, they're worth like four billion dollars or more. They wanted their five thousand dollars back because Ragnarok Online Two was that shit. That's funny. They and Gravity was like, you know what? Fine, we'll pay you back over five years. They gave a thousand dollars a year for five years to get their money back. That's petty. That's funny. It's, yeah, it, it just usually when you give a license fee, like that upfront license fee is usually non-refundable. But I guess Ryder Online Two was such a bad game that they felt like they should get their five thousand dollars back. I bet. I bet when they made RO Two, they realized how bad it was, but they were contractually obliged to deliver a product, so yeah. they had to like you know smile it was a and hot mess. Yeah. Ryder Online is, is terrible. Ryder Online Two is awful. I mean, Ryder Online, this Ryder Mobile game is doing really well though. Honestly, uh, the, I think the only reason it's doing so well is it's, it's, it's you know, aesthetics and it's old school Ragnarok look. It's nothing like original Ragnarok, but it looks like OG Ragnarok. It kept the same art style, the same world, the same maps, some really good music. But, like, that's it. It's just an auto-playing game otherwise. And it's on mobile, of course. Nice. I know we covered this uh, a while back, but I ran into this website again. And I think you were the first to show me this. So this is uh, NetEase's VR MMO in development. Na- Nostos. Do you remember this one? Yeah, it looked cool. Yeah. 
It does look cool. It's got some music playing on this. Look at this eerie website. Yeah, Netties can be innovative sometimes. I mean, they're known for copying games. And these are actually, they're some of the most notorious like companies that just copy games. I want to show you what a Netties game after that in a second. Netties is just like un, unbelievable. They give zero fucks about ripping off other games. All right, Altai, I want to show you. Uh, you you've played Brawl Stars, right, Altai? I have. So maybe for the for our audience that didn't play Brawl Stars, let me show you a quick gameplay. And I want to show you the Netties version, okay? Okay, let's see the... Uh... Uh, let's see some actual Brawl Stars first. Just, just skip ahead in the video to some actual gameplay, all right? Okay, let's see some Brawl Stars. And... and that's the, this is, uh, this yeah, it's a game by uh, Supercell, owned by Tencent. And then here's the... Here's the knockoff version called Storm Arena. When I heard about this game, I, I was like, Netties is at it again, boys. Netties is just shameless, boys. Shameless. Oh, that's funny. It's the same game. It's literally the same game. You <laughs> say, like, top down, it's just like, kind of a little, little bit slanted sideways, though, for some reason. That is the funny. The gameplay is identical. It's 3v3. The, the blocks look the same. The grass looks the same. It's so shameless. Oh, my God. Look at this. That's great, but you're you're in little vehicles instead of like on on foot. Yeah. And there's it's actually it's crazy what this Netties company does. I mean, there's they're the guys doing um, Diablo Immortal, but uh, this is they they made a complete knockoff of uh, Dead by Daylight as well, like a literal Dead by Daylight clone on mobile as well. So Don't you think it's embarrassing though? I know we talk about talk about being cucked. If you're Blizzard, okay, okay, I want to make a mobile game. I get it. Mobile's big. You want to make mm -hmm. a mobile game. Why are you going to the company that literally rips off all your games? Like, I don't. <laughs> That's true. Because they're really good at making mobile games and they're really good at ripping off other people, right? Oh, man. It's just. Imagine your wife cheats on you, right? And then later on, you agree to, like, uh, a three way. And then she recommends the guy she was cheating with. Like, and you say, okay, dear, that sounds great. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't understand. Kind of just work with a different company. Netties or, do is shameless <laughs> in their ripping, ripping off. Like, like, they're a big company, they're worth over $20 billion. It is it is truly shameless how much they ripped off other. I mean, even their um, Knives Out game is a complete PUBG clone. Yeah, I don't. Like, I, <laughs> Tencent sued them over that, but they settled because you can't. Like, it's very hard to sue uh, these Chinese companies, even though they're Chinese. So they rip off companies all the time, and Netties <laughs> is, is one of the biggest biggest <laughs> at it. Beta is fuck exactly Pakiaki. Is Lost Ark coming to NA this year? We have no announcement for NA release, so probably not your favorite anime sucks. I like your name, by the way. But uh, my guess is we'll, we'll get a Lost Ark announcement by the end of the year or early next year. That's my guess. We'll get an announcement for when it's going to come out to NA. So it's still, you know, there's no nothing coming out to NA just yet, but hopefully we get an announcement about it by the end of the year. That'd be nice. That's still one of the more highly anticipated games. What happened to Air? Remember Air was supposed to come out this year? Yeah, was the, Air was supposed to come out last year, wasn't it? I, well, I don't know. They announced it last year, and then like some testing, yeah. blah blah blah. But, yeah, I've um, got nothing on that either. Yeah. One day, one day, boys. One day. I'm not. I'm not too excited for Air, only because it looks it's the Unreal Engine you, three. You don't like game. Unreal three MMOs in 2019? No, no <laughs> 2019 on. Unreal Engine games, no way. Not for MMOs. It doesn't make any sense. All right, there's maybe one more big news we should talk about. Albion Online Altai is going free to play. I heard that's pretty cool. Uh, That's they, a big one. Yeah, it is. Uh, they need it. Uh, why not? You know, more players, more meat. Um, mm -hmm. A game like this, I think, finds established patterns quickly, unless it's like some new blood. Mm -hmm. um, there's been big people complaining about you know, a few big guilds, you know, controlling the world, etc. Mm -hmm. So uh, this, I think, will 
introduced enough new people, new blood, new fighters to hopefully change things up a little. Yeah, I mean, the game, it's a sandbox game. It benefits a lot from having more players. I mean, it's its inspired by RuneScape and Ultima Online. And a game like that needs tons of players like in the game to be like relevant because it's not like a theme park game where you just go from point A to point B to C to D, just doing this main story quest. It's very player-driven. The entire economy is all player-driven. The, the encounters, what makes that game fun isn't really the PvE. It's the PvP experiences. So you do need more players for that game. Fortunately, I mean, the player base has been on the rise for the last two months. So the game, you know, the numbers on Steam aren't great, but the game's been off Steam for a while, too. And they said they have, like, 10,000 players. If those are concurrent players, it's definitely not bad. So they said 10,000 daily players. It's a chart going up, which is very nebulous to, to read. But the game's player base is already increasing. And I think when they go free to play, it's definitely going to help the game. I mean, there's no reason to keep the game uh, buy to play as long as they don't sell power. I mean, they were always selling gold anyway, which you can kind of use to get stuff in game anyway. So they already had kind of some pay to win elements from the get go. So going free to play makes sense, I think, for the game. And I think if you play the game already, you're going to benefit because more players is going to be better. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure the way it worked was even if you buy the game and you're playing it, you were capped unless you pay for the premium sub. So mm-hmm. even now, I think when it's free to play, it's still going to be a big incentive mm-hmm. uh, for you to pay. But with that in mind, you know, there's no reason not to be free to play because at least yeah. you, you can decide if you know if you like it and then you commit to the subscription. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's gonna be like, it's gonna be probably I'm gonna compare it to RuneScape in terms of business model. Where yes, you're gonna be able to play for free, but to get the full experience you're gonna have to pay a subscription for Albion. Kinda like kinda like with RuneScape. Yeah. All right, I want to show you some, uh, some maybe an item in Final Fantasy fourteen. All right, what do you think about this item, Malphite? You see this in the game when you're doing the main story quest. Plot relevant gloves. If you didn't need them, you wouldn't have been able to pick them up. There you go. Steve. Can't argue with that logic. It's a no. glowing icon on the ground, and you're supposed to right click on it. When you pick it up, you get this item. Plot relevant I gloves. I do like the little, little, um, like a little fun the writers of Final Fantasy fourteen have with a lot of their story. They put little nuggets of like humor into their into their items in, in the game. This reminds me of that gif I saw this week. Everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it just means you're not at the end yet. <laughs> I, that's true. It's not wrong. <laughs> Makes sense. Right, what anything a- else for us, Altai? Well, else there was a little fun story about uh, how in this random town in India, a few random villages, they banned PUBG Mobile. Did you read this? Why? Yeah, I heard about that, but why? I, I, I don't know the details. I just read the headline. So the amazing thing about India is we're seeing a whole continent-sized country go through the, the internet revolution all at once. So la- late last year, I think, uh, India got its first nationwide 4G network, right? And everyone, got, everyone started getting smartphones. Mm-hmm. So they're going through all the stuff we went through in the last 20 years. They're, all, they're going through it in, like, you know, just this year. So the whole outrage we had in America here about violence and games... In India, they're just having it because it's the first time you know the average guy can play these games. Um, so it is, it's kind of interesting to see you know them go through everything in a, in a heightened pace. And I think that's what this is. The local villagers don't know what's going on. They, all they know is the kids are playing these gun games, and they just assume they want to shoot people up. Yeah, of course. But isn't that funny? That, that this literally happened where a kid was playing on his phone on the sidewalk, and a cop, the cops arrested him because they saw him playing it. That's so weird. That's so bizarre. <laughs> India is an interesting place. Yeah, but I, th- so, I think they'll get over it. It's just, you know it's something new, so they're not used to it. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Uh, the calling is shutting down. They tried doing that uh, reboot. Yeah, but didn't it didn't work. work. Yeah, so they're gone. It makes sense. They 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 kind of paved the way for the battle royale genre. One of the first like standalone battle royale games, but they're they're done. So they tried at least. 
And there's one other game I'm excited that's coming to Steam. Hmm. This is a game I've never played because it's always very daunting, kind of like uh, Eve and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dwarf Fortress is coming to Steam. And this game, you can just download it yourself on their website. But if you are lazy, it's going to include uh, Steam Workshop support and it's going to come mm-hmm. with a graphic tile set. So it won't be all, you know, ASIC little characters. It'll be actual graphics. Um, so that's pretty cool. Have you heard of this game? Or are you interested in trying it? I have not, no. I mean, I I really haven't heard too much about it. It's this whole like giant open-ended uh, game where you know you you there's two modes. You play as like a hero, walking around killing stuff and leveling up, or you play as like the guy organizing, like a SimCity kind of like of these dwarves living in this yeah, giant cool. like base. It's a really cool concept, actually. Mm-hmm. It's actually and with Steam Workshop support. That's yeah. the important part, boys. Yeah. So, but it's kind of a sad story on why it's coming to Steam after all these years. Um, the, the somebody in the family of the creator, one of the creators, is sick, uh, mm-hmm. and in America we don't wear you know healthcare costs up a lot of money, so he's he's doing this to make money uh, to fund their healthcare needs. Oof! Yikes! So uh, for uh, I know uh, Canaris is a uh, always harping on how great Europe is, but if these guys were in Europe, this game wouldn't be on Steam. <laughs> there you go, boys. American healthcare is bringing you Dwarf Fortress on Steam. Exactly. Thank you, America. All right. Yeah, by neglecting people, is, we gotta talk about uh, Article Thirteen. All right, that memory. Oh, uh, okay. So, we have the post game thing where we can, where we can sneak it in over here. Uh, let's go post game right. with this. It's a politics. All right. All right. It is politics. It is politics. Okay. Checkmate so... Europe. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Are we we done? I think we're done. We can write All right. Let's go. Let's go to post game. Thanks for watching. Stick Thanks around. For watching. Take Much it love. easy. Peace.